from the Times of Northwest Indiana and nwi.com slash podcasts. You're listening to Byline, the podcast about the newspaper's most fascinating stories and the reporters who tell them. I'm Kale Wilk, and this time Byline examines a serial killer that devastated families in the Midwest. We'll talk with an author that investigated the murderer. True journalist doesn't stop because somebody says no. I mean, there's something in us for justice and wanting to tell the truth. And we'll hear from a man committed to solving lingering questions. And these are my kids. And they've always been there. I've always referred to them as my kids. I always will until, until they go home. Until somebody else claims it. So this is going to be a surprise. Eh? Surprise! <laughs> this is Scott McCord, a councilman at large in Newton County. Olivia Hearsink, the Times of Northwest Indiana's morning breaking news reporter, and I took an excursion to Morocco to hear from him. McCord was the county's former coroner, and even a deputy coroner before that. Due to term limits, he clearly has a different occupation in the meantime, but he hopes to return to his old position in 2020. There's a particular memory that sticks with him when he began his work there. When they gave me an office, one day I went up there and and looked, and there were bags and boxes, cardboard boxes, of just records upon records upon records, because every corner just kind of handed everything down to the next. Inside, I I picked up one of the boxes and kind of shook it. I'm, I'm like, oh, this doesn't sound right. And two banker's boxes were full of bones and a bag, a plastic bag, that was a, the, the two bankers' boxes were labeled, I, if I remember correctly, victim three and victim four. And they were uh, the bones from the, the, the four boys that were found here back in 1983 uh, up in Lake Village that were uh, Larry Eiler's works, workings. Finding those bones would inspire Scott to go on a mission, one which still has unanswered questions. I took the, the bones and, and I thought to myself, this, this isn't right. We're, we're not going to... We're not going to just have bankers' boxes with bones in them and, and, and leave them. So I, I, I made it my mission in life to, to get these kids home. We'll come back to Scott later. For now, it's important you know who Olivia is. My name is Olivia Hersink, and I am the morning cops and breaking news reporter here at The Times. Olivia arrived in the newsroom back in May. She's a Gem State expat, having graduated from the University of Idaho, and is sticking out a life as a fresh journalist in the Midwest. Being a breaking news and morning cops reporter isn't an easy gig, but it's exactly what Olivia wanted. So my dad is a defense attorney, actually, and when I was growing up, um, my mom often would work really, really early mornings, or she would be working late nights because she was a registered nurse, and so she'd be working in the emergency room. And so my dad, <laughs> rather than going to uh, kindergarten or daycare some days, I would get to go to with him to the courtroom. And so I'd kind of see him. I'd be back with my coloring books, though, while he's, you know, defending murderers and whatnot. Um, but I would just, it just fascinated me. And I think the whole point of journalism is wondering why. And that's so true for crime, too. And, like, a lot of what my dad does is, you know, it's, you're trying to answer why. And I just think 
crime, it's a lot harder to find that why because it's not as always as easily explainable. And um, I think you can just make some really, really fascinating stories out of it. As you may already know, this is the third story featured in the Times of Northwest Indiana's Crimes That Rock the Region series. Olivia originally tried finding info on a different case. With ill luck on her first venture, she received the tip on the story of Larry Eiler from Scott McCord. Eiler was a serial killer, coined the Highway Killer, that claimed victims in Indiana, Illinois, Kentucky, and Wisconsin. He killed 21 people. Some believe there's more out there that haven't been found. Four victims, to which he confessed to murdering, were found in Newton County, just south of the Kankakee River. October 19th, 1983, four bodies were found in a shallow grave in a Newton County cornfield just beside a barn. And so they think that, you know, maybe some of the initial killing actually took place in that barn or something happened there, but um, they were buried outside of it. Two of them were identified, John Bartlett and Michael Bauer. The other two still remain unidentified to this day. And so three of them were white, one was um, African-American, and he was separated off to the side because in a confession, Tyler even admitted that um, he didn't think it was right putting um, together the mixed races. And so he separated them out. But before Eiler was even associated with these victims, he wasn't even on the map. But one journalist pursued his path and story. Oh, I didn't even know I had this. Holy cow. Oh, well, these are good. These are all the pictures from the book. That's why they're all here. I just grabbed stuff for you guys. Oh, so that's why so it's chaotic. <laughs> I just threw stuff in a bin, and it was like, I had other crap in the bin, and it was like, oh. This is Geraldine Kolarik. She's a former TV journalist that spent portions of her career at CBS and then ABC in Chicago. She took some time to talk to Olivia and I about Larry Eiler. She still stays active in a freelance capacity, as evident by the several phone calls she'd get during our chat. Alrighty, I'll get back to you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. 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 I don't know why all of a sudden nothing happens for years, and all of a sudden. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I was with uh, Channel Seven Eyewitness News. I was the assignment editor. In that role, she would do B checks, including with coroners. Jared, we, we've been getting bodies turning up here in Indiana. And he says, you know, I, I really think it's a homosexual serial killer. I says, what? What do you mean? How? He says, we've had three different bodies here. And they're all unidentified. And they all have their pants partly pulled down. And it's a similar stab wounds, 30 stab wounds, like eviscerated. And he told me some other personal things that they found on the bodies. And... Uh, and he says, I think that they're all gay. And I says, that's strange. I says, God, I got a guy, a kid, this Scott, this kid that was found out in, uh, in Kankakee. And it was the same, same pattern. And I says, my gosh. I, and I says, and you know what? Lake County, Illinois has two murders that they have. And it's the same thing. But this guy, one of the guys had his hand cut off. As more victims and connections seemed to be turning up, she pitched the story. And I, uh, I said to, I said, uh, we want to do this. It might be a homosexual serial killer. Well, the whole room was like, oh, no, 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 no. How do you know? How do you know? I says, well, because 
there are some homosexual overtones on this, multiple stab wounds, and, and they think that it's a man killing other men. And they were like, well, do the police say this? Well, there's a task force. And they said, well, let's wait until we have a little more information. I says, no, it's definitely a serial killer. And they poo-pooed the story. With no luck, she turned to an old friend with the Gay Life newspaper. The Newton County coroner at the time wanted to know if sketches of some of the victims could run with the story she was pitching. So I brought my court artist, Andy Austin. I says, Andy, I'll pay you a hundred bucks to help them. So she, she sketched them of what they would look like alive. And they ran them in the Gay Life newspaper. And all of a sudden, in a week, they all were identified as male prostitutes from Chicago. Gerilyn pitched the story again. Those at the TV station still didn't want it. Then, one more Illinois victim came up, Ralph Calise. This was the first time they found an ID card. Because when Larry killed him and dragged his body across the field, his driver's license came out of his pocket. And so this was the first victim where they had an ID. And Ralph Calise was a young boy from Oak Park. And now they had a name and everything. Then Larry Eiler gets apprehended in Indiana. They found footprints and they found tire tracks. Okay, exactly two to three weeks later, after the task force meeting, they had a name. They had a name of Larry Eiler because he was into S&M. And somebody in Indianapolis got the name on a hotline. And they had the name of the, they, they knew his license plate they knew the pickup truck he was in. A low Indiana state trooper was driving along in the morning. I forgot the date. I'm sorry about that. And he saw a man leaving a pickup truck with a young boy and going down a ditch at sunrise. So he ran the license plate and he saw that the guy was a suspect in a number of serial killings. So the police officer went down to the ditch where the two guys were asked him to get out of the ditch, come over there. And he asked him, are you Larry Eiler? And he said, yes. And he said, uh, he then read him his rights and handcuffed him and put him in the squad car, called for backups, and took the kid and towed the pickup truck in. But they didn't go by the book. Because when they handcuffed him and they didn't have any probable cause to arrest him, if they would have said to Larry, Larry, can you come down? We'd like to talk to you, and there's a task force that would like to speak to you. Larry probably would have said, okay. And there would have been no problem if they would have said, then we want to search your truck and everything. But the minute they handcuffed him, brought him in, they violated his constitutional rights. And Lake County, everybody, nobody knew that right at that time. But all this evidence led to, when Larry was out there and he killed Ralph Calise, he stepped in his blood, then he put his boots back on. Guess what's inside these boots? Ralph Calise's blood. Both boots, the blood was in there. They found the knife. The knife was positive, Ralph Calise's blood. The boots matched, the boot print found on the scene. The tire tracks marked the tire tracks on the scene. Larry was now a suspect in 25 Larry was brought in, and the evidence of the knife 
that you see and the boots and all that that was going to be used in the murder of Ralph Kalise was suppressed and could not be used against him. So they didn't bring anything. So when he walked free, the sheriff said, and I stood next to me, he said he's freed, freed to kill. It's a matter of time before he kills again. And then, Lord and behold, uh, three months later, another body is found of another boy in Illinois. Again, my office says to me, just let it rest. Stop it. Just let it rest. You're done with the story. And I, of course, everything pointed to Larry Eiler. And then, all of a sudden, you have a young boy. You find the body of a young boy on August 21st, 1984, named Danny Bridges, a male prostitute, here in Chicago at, uh, 12, at 1628 Sherwin. Is found cut up in four bags in a dumpster. And there's a picture here of the police going through the dumpster. And uh, guess what? That's the case that Larry Eiler is. That's the body of Danny Bridges in these garbage bags. He cut them up in his apartment. Eiler would be formally charged with Daniel Bridges' murder. Though his trial wouldn't be for another two years, Eiler maintained his innocence. He admitted to dismembering and disposing of the body, but alleged Robert Little, a professor at Indiana State University, had been an accomplice. Although Little appeared in court, he ultimately was never convicted. Kalerich would go on to leave the station and would further pursue Larry Eiler's story for her book, Free to Kill. But the importance of Free to Kill was not only did it reopen all these murders, it made police sensitive to the fact that men can become victims of serial killers. Back in the 1980s and 90s, if you were gay, oh God forbid, and if you were a gay man, oh, you were a, you were a sign of abuse. And the idea that men could become victims of a serial killer was highly unknown. If they were young women, oh my God, you never would have seen a guy free on 25 murders of young women, women prostitutes, anything. But because they were men and possibly gay men, then that was taboo. But Why? you're a journalist. Mm -hmm. And a true journalist doesn't stop mm -hmm. because somebody says no. I mean, there's something in us for justice and wanting to tell the truth. For Scott McCord, any new lead in his quest excites him. Victims three and four were white and black men, respectively. Scott gave them names, Brad and Adam. As he says, you can forget a number, but you can't forget a name. He has composite sketches for them. He sent their dental records and DNA to the National Missing and Unidentified Person System and the combined DNA index system. Nothing. When Scott left office, he gave the two a funeral. They now reside in a local mausoleum. But he still tries to find something, anything, of their identities. It's hard as time goes along. One day, maybe. Mm -hmm. And that's what I just keep saying. That's what I keep saying about these kids, one day. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is, you know, these kids are my age now. Or, or thereabouts, which means their parents are probably gone. Mm -hmm. So once the siblings start being gone, if they had siblings, if they had brothers and sisters, 
we're going to lose that DNA. We're going to lose that. I mean, you never really lose it. You can go down further through the line, but eventually people are just going to forget. You know, after mom and dad die, and you know they were looking for them, and now brothers and sisters are starting to die. After that, nobody cares anymore. Nobody remembers anymore. And that's that's going to be the sad part. Is and and it it was really a sad day when we did the funeral because I knew then that it was kind of a final. You know, this was the final hurrah for him. Despite others having moved on, Scott hasn't. He has an inner spirit that pushes him above and beyond to complete what he signed up for. As a coroner, you take an oath to use every means possible to identify a body. And it's just one of those things that you know you, you think back on it and you think, God, if those were my kids, I'd want somebody. I'd want somebody looking for them. These are my kids. I have two children of my own. Those are my children. These are my kids. Mm-hmm. And they've always been there. I've always referred to them as my kids. I always will until, until they go home. Until somebody else claims them. Byline is a production of the Times of Northwest Indiana. You can find all of our episodes at nwi.com slash digital slash audio. Reporting for this episode came from Olivia Hearsink. We'd like to thank Scott McCord and Geraldine Kolarik for providing various comments for this story. If you have suggestions for an episode topic or want to share your thoughts, drop an email to kale.wilk at nwi.com. I'm Kale Wilk, and from the Times of Northwest Indiana, thank you for listening. See you next time.